Wait, we didn't sink. Sink. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sinking in. Three. Two. Two. One. one. Fascinating. Loving disagreement. Fascinating. <laughs> I did a real bad sink because I couldn't hear you guys at first because of my internet. <laughs> if a podcast sinks in the forest and only two-thirds of its co-hosts participate, <laughs> did it even sink? Oh, boy. Sorry, Aaron. Here we go. Welcome to episode 363 of The Fascinating Podcast, a show about the fascinating people and events at the heart of our cultural conversations. I'm J.R. Foresteros, and I'm holding it down solo today. On this week's show, I'm interviewing two spectacular authors about why civility is dead and what it takes to form real community. But first, now you know what? Let's go ahead and bring them in. Welcome, Kathy Kong and Matt Michelotis to The Fascinating <laughs> Podcast. Oh. Hey, thank you. I'm Matt Michelotis. And I'm Kathy Kong. <laughs> and we're glad to be on the Fascinating Podcast. Uh, normally, I would make you wait until the second segment, um, but I needed some help on the story of the week. So okay. I want to oh. go ahead and bring you all in early. Um, but you story are being interviewed today. the week. Yeah. So this is actually twin stories. Uh, Kathy. Yes. Do you prefer alligators or crocodiles? Uh, I think I've only tried eating alligator. Okay. And? Tastes like chicken. Okay. But to me, it's like a little bit fishier. Um, And no? maybe it was the preparation because it was deep fried. So it didn't mm. really... I was like tasting more of the grease. Yeah, it was like crunch and sauce. Yeah. Matt, what about you? Do you have a preference? Uh, you know, I also have eaten alligator. I have not eaten crocodile. I don't know. Crocodiles seem... Um, they seem... Well, maybe it's because I haven't seen as many. They seem meaner <laughs> than alligators to me. Uh, well, my, my, my uh, stories of the week support this. Uh, there was a, uh -huh. I, and this is one y'all where I'm really missing clay because this is set in the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which as oh, you know, clay wow. being a Pittsburgher has some strong feelings about the city, but oh, wait. It, ha, I heard this story. Okay. Go oh, on, you though. did. I did. A, yeah. I was excited by it. Philadelphia Phillies fan was denied entrance to the Phillies game when they hosted the Pittsburgh pirates. Uh, because they would not allow his emotional support alligator <laughs> into well, the ballpark. that's a different story than I heard. <laughs> uh, this alligator is named Wally Gator. That's not hyphenated, no spaces. Wally Gator. Uh, apparently is a pretty big presence on Instagram and TikTok. And according to his owner, he likes to give hugs. Aww. Aww. But the ha Phillies would not let him in. Aww. Um, hugs? I like... But aren't there, they're not really arms. They're four legs. Aren't they short? Like, what kind of hug? They'd have to get right up on you. Maybe he hugs you with his jaws. Mm. Huh? That could be. Right? I don't know. Uh, you can find pictures of Wally Gator online. Uh, other people at the stadium were incensed that someone would even try to bring an emotional support gator. But I'm looking at a picture here of him in a harness with his, uh, with his name on the leash. So... Was his uh, was his snout tied down, or it nope. was open for getting open. at hot dogs and whatever? Mm. Open, totally open. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. Oh, so, all right. 
Well, I I yeah, wonder I really how do fast wonder. they can Where move. Where would Clay like, fall on that? Yeah, taking him for. Oh, I. Ooh, crocodiles can run at the speed of a horse over short distances. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. But okay. how about alligators? Alligators are less dangerous. Well, I don't know. Okay. Actually, that was just. I'm making up stuff now. All right, so here's my crocodile story. You ready for this? All right, let's hear it. Goodness. We've all seen Jurassic Park. Yes. Yes. So we know that life uh, finds a way. Finds a way. Well, life <laughs> did find a way in a Costa Rican zoo. Uh, scientists recorded the first ever cr- uh, recorded crocodile virgin birth. So this mm. is where a female crocodile was able to uh, fertilize one of her clutch of eggs. Uh, this She laid 14 eggs. Well, female, one of, by the way. Yeah, female. One of them uh, was uh, had a fully formed, though stillborn, baby crocodile in it. So the crocodile died in the egg, but it was fully, fully fertilized and fully formed. So first time this has been observed in crocodiles. Oh. Wait, only one of the crocodiles died? Is that what you're saying? No, only one of the 14 eggs was fertilized. And that, that fertilized egg also did die. Oh. But, it, but, but no. by the time the crocodile died... It was fully grown, like inside. It's a miracle. Yeah. Wow. Well. Well. So sorry, crocodiles. Your messiah stillborn, I guess. But um, that would be a different zoo story for sure. Interesting that this is again. It's happened, uh, like like from Jurassic Park. It's happened in many other species. So this is not like uh, this is not that crazy. But it is the first time it's been observed to happen in a crocodile. Hmm. But those uh, what what do they call that when it's a What's the scientific word for that? It is called faculative parthenogenesis. Parthenogenesis. But all of the children are female when that happens, right? Correct. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. So hmm. there you go. An emotional support alligator. Alligator. But then a crocodile mom who will go the extra mile. And a virgin birth. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so. This whole episode, gang, is going to be about uh, animals and birthing. Uh, and now we're going to talk about how the temperature of bird eggs changes the gender of the birds. What? Oh, it's true. Oh, As, I didn't know that. Well, anyway, that's for another episode. I was just joking. Okay. Yeah, we're true. actually going to hop over to our interview with these two famous authors that we have on the show today. Ooh, a lot. <laughs> so Ooh. let me Who introduce them. Uh, well, Kathy... Kathy yes. Kong is a writer, speaker, and yoga teacher who lives in really? the north burbs of Chicago with her family <laughs> and a gecko named Sid. She is also the host of the long-running and very popular know podcast, that. The Fascinating Podcast. So, Kathy, I didn't even know that about Sid the Gecko. Yes. I learned something already. Yes. Uh, Matt Michelotis is an author and screenwriter who lives in the Portland, Oregon area with his family and a giant rabbit named Bruce. He is also the host of long-running and very popular podcast, The Fascinating Podcast. So, Matt McLeodis, welcome to the show. show. Thank you. (laughs) So glad to be here. We're big Uh, fans of The Fascinating Podcast. Yeah, I listen to it as often as I'm on it. Really excited to have both of you on today. (laughs) Uh, As you know, we ask guests, uh, what's fascinating you these days? So, Kathy Kong, what is fascinating you these days? Uh, I am fascinated by the changing weather patterns and how I am much more aware of changing air pressure uh, because I am now of that stage in life where I notice it in my knees and in my sinuses. 
Mm. Well, so you can like tell when it's going to rain by your knee. I, I, yeah, I've not perfected that quite yet. I'm not, I'm, but I'm working on it. I'm definitely working on it. And I definitely could anticipate the shift in weather patterns because all last week, my sinuses, like I have this horrible headache, my face hurts and voila, it went from summer to fall. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matt McLeodis, what is fascinating you these days? Um, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about how people decide what is true. Oh. Uh, it, it's it, partly because I wrote about compassion on my Facebook uh, and how compassion is a very core Christian trait that God describes himself as compassionate, that Jesus is described as compassionate, that it's universally seen as a, as a positive thing in scripture. And I had people arguing with me in the comments, Christians, including missionaries, including people who I know are devout and committed to going to church every week, things like that. And it was really baffling. Like these are the same kind of people who would argue about like anything they saw as any sort of slight movement away from scripture, they'd be jumping all over you. But on this one, they're like, no, let's give the benefit of the doubt to whoever said compassion is bad. And I was really, I continue to be really baffled by it. Uh, I talked to Krista, my wife about it, and she was like, yeah, but you always think this, you think people are better than they are or that they'll become better. And I was like, yeah. So she was like, why are you always surprised? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm surprised again. But uh, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about it. I'm trying to figure it out, but uh, I'm failing. So I have to keep thinking about it. Well, we're going to return to that in a minute when we dive into y'all's book in more detail. But first of all, uh, we are here to discuss this gorgeous book that I'm holding up for the viewers at home to listen to. Uh, It is called Loving Disagreement, Fighting for Community Through the Fruit of the Spirit. And uh, you co-wrote this book. So I am curious uh, how this co-authorship came about. Who who tells the story better? <laughs> Matt does, and we uh, you, we share it. Yeah, I'll tell well, the first part. Yeah, you tell the first part because it also involves Jr. Yes, that's right. That's true. This is this is a gotcha question. <laughs> Finally, uh, so a publisher I've worked with in the past, Nav Press, one of the editors, the delightful Caitlin Carlson, reached out to me and said they were thinking about doing a book about civility. And they had noticed that uh, in my social media, and particularly on Facebook, that I'd have people that really, really disagreed with each other, and we would find these ways to disagree without being impolite. And they were like, you kind of came to mind as someone we'd like to write this book. And we started talking about it more, and then she said, what if you wrote it with someone else who had a different point of view, who looked at things differently, And I said, well, who are you thinking? And she was like, well, honestly, the number one person on our list would be Kathy Kong. And I was like, I totally know her. Um, (laughs) And I could ask her, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure she would say no. And I was just thinking about it and processing some. And I talked to JR about it, JR Foresteros, who is also an author. I don't know if you guys know this, um, of a book called Empathy for the Devil. Anyway, I was talking to JR. And I was saying, like, yeah, they want me to see if Kathy would write with us, but I don't think she write with me, but I don't think she would want to. So I think I'm just going to say no to the project. 
And JR wisely said, why are you saying no for Kathy? She is an adult human being who can make her own choices. And I was like, oh, that's a really good point. And then I felt dumb, actually. And uh, then I called Kathy. And I'll let Kathy pick up the story from there. Well, I hope you don't still feel dumb. I feel like... No, no, I don't feel dumb now. I feel that I learned something and that's valuable. Good, good, good. Yeah, so you um, approached me and I was grateful for JR's intervention there. And (laughs) actually, I mean, I had said to both of you that I was kind of tired uh, of the Christian industrial complex and sometimes of the space, whether on social media or even in real life, that the conversations seem to be kind of circling and the same thing. However, when you approached me about writing together and particularly writing together about encouraging our fellow Christians to be better because (laughs) we ought to know better, that actually, you know, I said, I actually have energy for that because, you know, I, I don't think that I am much of an optimist. I'm not a like cup is or glasses half full kind of person but oh, I you're, do... you're not confused when people are terrible online and stuff like that? <laughs> no not at all i am not oh, okay. confused but i am still hopeful at least there is still a shred of hope that um we've learned a few things over the last few years and that people are still willing to um allow themselves a sliver of humanity and allow that of a of one another so this idea of like yeah maybe we can encourage people to ask questions and be better people better uh, yeah better people so so i said yes and and then off we went so kathy i know you you have co-written a book before uh more than serving tea uh but it's been a couple years a long time yeah (laughs) a long time so i'm curious how was how was the process similar or different? Like what, I, I guess if you're comparing those two experiences, you know, like what do you feel like, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. I have so many directions that answer could go. So I'm just kind of curious, like what? Well, the first experience more than serving tea was with a group of Asian American women whom I knew. I mean, we all knew each other. We had met in person. We had spent a significant amount of time together in a leadership cohort. And so we knew about each other and some experiences. Uh, We had been in physical spaces together. And this was also pre the kind of internet that we have. So social media was not the kind of thing that it is right now. People were on Facebook, but it was really a big time of like mommy blogs, which was predominantly Hmm. at that time, white Christian women who were kind of the influencers in that space. And so when we were writing together, it was like, um, you know, we would write in our own corners. The other authors got together once for a week together and were writing together. But then you would like share the document via email. (laughs) Whereas for us, for me and Matt, I know, right? It's hilarious. (laughs) For me and Matt, there were so many things that were different. We have been podcasting together (laughs) for years, but Matt and I had never met 
in person. And so all of our interactions have been virtual. And so our friendship has been built on this trust that we are the same people online and Mm. in our interactions over the podcast. And we only met after the book was done and we were recording the audio book. So that was when the, that was the first time we met in person, but because technology has changed, we could share each other's Google docs and peek in at any time of the process to say like, Hey, can you take a look at this? And the great thing was because we had this technology, we could do a back and forth with each other and we could do it not necessarily live, but kind of organically ask each other questions and we could go into that document and kind of go, oh, I have this question or let me rephrase that or uh, let me change my mind. <laughs> so <laughs> so that was, the, that was kind of the gist of how different those experiences were that, and, and really the biggest one, Matt and I had never met in person. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that relationship and that friendship was completely built on online virtual interactions over time. Uh, Matt, for you, what was the process like? Or what surprised you about it? Or maybe, you know. Yeah, I think Kathy and I had never written together at all. Oh, yeah, that too. And I've written an enormous number of books. Uh, so now Kathy used to be a reporter also though. So I, I wasn't sure what the process was going to look like if it was going to be, it's different with every collaborator, right? Um, like, is this going to be the sort of thing where we need to touch base all the time and check in on each other and want to talk things through? We hadn't even, I think on the front end, when we signed the contract, we hadn't even discussed for sure how we were going to do it. Um, like we had an idea, but, uh, yeah, I think what is delightful, one one of many things that is delightful about Kathy is she's like an incredible professional. So anytime she said something will be done by this time, it was done. Um, or she like lets you know if like she got COVID while we were working <laughs> on the book. Um, and Kathy is such a gifted writer. Like you get these little mini essays that are so wise and well-written and insightful and it was it was just delightful it was really great and then we dig into it together with a little conversation after we got each other's stuff which was really fun too so i really enjoyed it um and man i've never before written a book where half of it was legitimately written by someone else i was like this is so much easier in a variety of ways (laughs) if you can trust the other person yeah that they're gonna provide good content you know like uh, it was it was really it was great actually. That's the that's a great uh, opportunity to transition into the book itself. So you use a framework of the fruit of the spirit to talk mm-hmm. about loving disagreement, not civility, which that's going to be my first question. Uh, but you uh, in each each you divided up the fruit of the spirit. Uh, helpfully, there's eight of them, right? So you're able to or there are nine, whatever. Uh, you divide them up, and each <laughs> each of you took lead on different fruits. And then the other person would do like a response in the chapter, right? So Kathy writes on patience, 
has, has all of her thoughts on patients. Then Matt has a chance to say, Kathy, I read what you wrote. Here are some follow-up thoughts. And then you go back and forth several times. Uh, that was, so, so it's fun. It feels like a conversation. You're able to challenge each other, push back on each other, affirm and resonate with each other. It's a really fun, uh, it's a really fun format that I think, especially folks who love the fascinating podcast and love listening to the two of you have a conversation. It feels like a really natural extension of that in some, some really cool ways. So, uh, as, as we like to do on the fascinating podcast, rather than go through the entire book, I wanted to kind of do a little bit of a, uh, honing in on one particular section. And I thought it would be fun to talk about civility and how it's different from kindness since the book is not about civility. And yet that's what you were asked to write about. So um, I'm kind of curious two things. Uh, you know, wh why do you think the publisher came to you and said, we want a book on civility specifically, right? And then... Why did y'all say, uh, we're not interested in a book on civility, we have a better idea? I think, I mean, the reason they were looking for a book in this space is I think it's an enormous felt need right now for, for people all across the spectrum. Nobody wants, uh, at the core, nobody wants to get onto social media or go to Thanksgiving and get into knockdown, drag out fights with people they care about. No, Nobody actually wants that. Well. Okay, maybe that's my optimism talking. Very few people desire that, right? They would prefer to be in loving relationships. So I think especially as a likely to be a very difficult election year is coming up in the United States, I think they're looking at how do we help people deal with the fact that people are viciously, viciously fighting with each other within the community of faith. Uh, over sometimes important topics, sometimes really, really unimportant ones. So I think that was the felt need that they were coming after. Um, and maybe Kathy would like to talk about why we said no to talking about civility. Well, I mean, it's the lowest bar possible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think the, the language of civility fits for the broader culture. And it makes sense in terms of the current cultural moment. So it's not that it was a bad idea. I think it, it makes sense when you're talking about politics, you're talking about um, your community, you don't necessarily want to use language that is grounded in only one faith or tradition or even a religious tradition. So I think civility is one of those words that kind of fits broadly. But I think you and I agreed, Matt, that that is kind of the lowest bar possible for Christians. Yeah. And, and also, you know, sometimes I joke about this, you know, set the bar low so that you can only exceed expectations. <laughs> is that, is that in my heart? Sometimes I feel like that is where I land for fellow Christians and even myself as part of that larger body is to say, well, all we should expect is civility. And that is the lowest bar. But also because so much of the conversation in Christian circles is around whether or not we hold the Bible um, as the ultimate authority or inerrant or, you know, you name it, there's that language. I think 
you and I really believe that we needed to go back to the Bible and find a framework and a situation in which we saw people of God wrestling with the very thing we are trying to write about, which is we don't agree. (laughs) We are fighting with each other and it's ugly. So what do we do? Mm. Uh, so Matt, you open, you open the chapter on kindness. Yeah. Uh, and one of the stories you share, uh, is a sort of uh, Frankenstein echo of the one you just shared about compassion. Uh, yeah. someone on your Facebook wall said that, uh, Christians should not be kind because it's not even a Christian virtue. <laughs> um, <laughs> so baffling. Yeah. So either they don't understand what a virtue is or what a Christian is or possibly both. I don't know. Unclear. But uh, what I want to ask is what do you think is at stake for the people who reject kindness as a virtue or as something that Christians should aspire to? Like, how does someone who's at least at some point in the distant past trying to follow Jesus end up at that kind of a place where that's important for them to say? Yeah. Uh, so another story that I don't think I shared in the book, I was talking to this guy and he said, anyone who comes, Christian, anyone who comes against me, I'm going to come back at them a million times harder. And I said, what about turning the other cheek? And he's like, I don't know where that saying comes from, but it's <laughs> one of weakness. What? And I was like, what? It comes from Jesus. And he goes, well, regardless, I'm not going to do anything like that that shows that kind of weakness to my opposition. And then, you know, started off on a whole Jesus comes on a white horse with a sword, like that whole thing. Um, The only thing I can figure is that people actually know themselves in these moments, recognize that they are unkind and cannot deal with the fact that maybe something else is requested of them. They don't desire to be something else. Um, And so they have to reject that scripture or God requires kindness of us um, so that they can stay as they are. That's, I mean, that's my best guess. I don't know. Kathy, do you have, do you have other thoughts on that? Yeah. Like, I, I am not surprised that there are folks who respond that way, reject kindness, reject compassion in part because there is a huge swath of Christianity, evangelicalism, that really looks at the faith as one of punitive, right? It is like, you are such a bad, horrible person. And the only way out of it is Jesus, but only in this way. Mm-hmm. And and you will, and even if you have an out, who is Jesus, you still have to sit in that yuck. And so there's never this sense of a lifting of or a hopefulness or transformation. And so I think that the the danger is that if people who see Christianity, who see Jesus as one of a person who only brings guilt shame, Hmm. and punishment, and a reminder of hell, (laughs) then it actually won't matter, right? That those 
people are doomed into a life that leads only into a space where there is no kindness, there is no compassion, there's no hope because the the primary goal is to be in a place of <laughs> of guilt and shame. Mm. Um, and 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 I know that there is power in being manipulated in guilt and shame. And so the danger is if we don't know the truth of what scripture actually says, like turn the other cheek and mm-hmm. kindness as a Christian mm-hmm. virtue, um, then, then as I have been accused of uh, false teaching, that right. actually is false teaching, right? That, right, right. That, that kindness is not a Christian virtue. What? literally in the bible <laughs> in the virtue yeah it's so yeah. baffling right and i don't pretend that i have kindness figured out but i would never say that it's not something required of me either right uh like for sure when i am unkind i stop when i notice it right and go like oh no like that was a failure yeah not something to be bragged about or yeah uh so let's uh let's drill down a little bit matt i really enjoyed the way you played with the Greek word that we translate kindness, Christos, uh, <laughs> and how it often got mistaken for Christos, which is Christ, in in the early years of the church. So people were not sure whether it was Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the kind one. Uh, yeah. And then Christians were either little messiahs or little kind ones. Uh, and, and, and apparently right. there was enough. Uh, there was enough kindness happening that the confusion was understandable, right? Um, yeah, and and in Greek at that time, the the vowel sounds would have been nearly identical. They would have been very difficult to tell apart. It would have been like Christos and Christos. Um, so, and a lot of people were illiterate uh, in Greek. So you would l- legitimately had people who thought Jesus's name was Christos was a common name for slaves. Uh, it just means someone who sees what needs to be done and does it without expectation of reward. So some people legitimately thought Jesus's title was Jesus, the guy who sees when you're in trouble and steps in to help, uh, not Jesus, Messiah, who's come to save us all, right? right. Uh, which is so fascinating uh, that, yeah, today you could have people arguing against niceness, or not niceness, sorry, kindness. Um, yeah, and then in English, the reason the old English word kindness was originally used is that was a word that meant the same thing. Someone who sets out to find places where there is need and then helps others. Uh, In fact, it was used in uh, kind of medieval times as English is just forming, right? Um, Of people who are uh, knights, people who are like the knights of the round table, right? They were kind, which meant they rode out from the castle to go find people in need to help them, which is is pretty cool. That is pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's weakened in meaning since then in English, for sure. Um, because it does. It gets confused with nice. People, oh, that guy's so kind. And what they mean is, you know, he, nice. he's friendly. He never, yeah. he never irritates anyone. Right. Which is more niceness is about being agreeable, right? Um, it's, it's the person that never upsets you because they always kind of go along with things to a certain degree. Um, and that's very, very different than what the Bible is talking about with kindness. Uh, if I remember, it's been a while since I looked this up. So 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that the English roots of niceness have something to do with like sort of like like mental deficiency and like simpleness. <laughs> like it's an insult. Like, oh, he's nice. Yeah. Wink, wink. But again, it's that same wink. kind of like like they just kind of bless you know, his heart. They'll they'll sit where you sit them. They'll go where you lead them. Like they don't really like have their own. You know, it's just. Uh, yeah, so I was in the South twice in the last three weeks and uh, had a great time in both places. And I was very struck by how nice everyone is. Uh, and I don't, not in the not in the way, Jerry, you were just talking about, but in the way that whether they're angry at you or not, whether you've done something ridiculous or not, or, you know, some impolite thing on accident, uh, I don't know who would ever do that. They're very, very nice. Like, they're not going to yell at you. They're, uh, you can't tell, literally, you can't always tell someone's emotions by the way they're acting with you. Uh, and again, that's not bad. I think it's a cultural value. I'm not arguing against niceness. I'm pro-niceness, but it's just not the same as being kind. You can be nice to someone and still be unkind. Uh, and you can be not nice, right? You can be someone who's not agreeable and still be kind to people, if that makes sense. Uh, well, to that point, Kathy, in yeah. one of your responses to Matt, you <laughs> uh, you observe that there are plenty of times that you actually intended to burn a bridge. Uh, and I believe the phrasing that you used was because it had gatekeepers or maybe tolls for people like you, uh, which I thought was just lovely turn of phrase. Um, made, me, made me chuckle and warmed my heart. Uh, is that attitude incompatible with kindness as you were working through this material? Yeah, I would argue, no, it's not incompatible because that niceness is different than kindness, right? Niceness is that very superficial kind of keep the peace because we're in public. Um, politeness, maybe even a very superficial level of civility, but the kindness, it is rooted, again, um, the challenge with the fruit of the spirit is that they are all connected. And so when I really deeply care about relationship with somebody and I care about this community that I'm in or want to be a part of, that the most kind thing that I can do is actually point out that there is um, a live wire that is exposed behind a wall over there. And we really need to do something about it because there might be a spark that sets off a fire. Um, that might not seem nice because then you're pointing out, oh, somebody made a mistake. They didn't cover the, the live wire. They built a wall where it shouldn't be. Um, that could feel really, you know, uncomfortable. But it is the most kind thing because it is warning somebody about danger that is imminent. And and I think that's the hard thing with kindness and so many of the other um, fruits of the spirit is that there is a way in which we are very uncomfortable with disagreement and we want to be able to control other people's behavior mm. around reactions. And I think that's the hard thing is that when Matt and I started writing, it's less about controlling other people's reactions, but also noticing how we are reacting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I 
come from that place where I've been told like, gosh, you're really not nice to people. And I'm like, oh, you want to see me mean? I can show you mean. I think I'm being actually very kind and inviting people to see something that maybe they don't recognize as harming them, but it's actually harming them and everyone else around them. Mm. Uh, Well, I, I don't want to spoil too much more of the book. We have barely even scratched the surface of one of the chapters. Uh, but I do want to ask a couple of things, uh, just more generally. Uh, Matt, you you already said you already answered this a little bit, so you can feel free to think of something else or just uh, pass. But uh, we'll start with you, Kathy. Uh, what what did what did you learn about the other through this process of co-authoring? Some, like you said earlier, you've been podcasting together for years, so you already knew each other relatively well. Um, but was there something else that you learned uh, in this process about Matt? Matt is really funny. <laughs> He is really funny. So it's different when we're podcasting because usually we are interviewing other people. And so I may get snippets of his reaction or he'll say something that's funny. But I really appreciated um, in his writing and in his commentary and questions back at me that, you know, readers are never going to see (laughs) <laughs> Too bad for you. But, um, and then just in the going back and forth when we'd like hit a wall or I'd be like, I am so done with this. Um, he is super, super funny. And, um, and I really learned this in the letters. So we were asked to write kind of a little letter that would accompany our book when it was being mailed out to people that we you know, influencers or folks who endorsed our book. And our publisher had allowed us to each have a list and each have a letter. And I was like pretty straight as an arrow in my letter. And Matt's was hilarious. And I was like, oh, I didn't know we could be funny. I thought I was supposed to be like professional. But Matt was professional and hilarious. (laughs) Nice. Matt, what about you? You know, um, I was really struck by, I already knew this on some level, but I think when you're, when you're working through a manuscript together, line by line, uh, when you're talking about, does this word hit the right way? Those sorts of things. I was really struck by Kathy's deep care for other people and that she is so thoughtful about her audience and the people who might be influenced by this book with a real desire for them to experience transformation in the most positive way. Um, yeah, it just seemed like a really central driving engine of why Kathy does things. And that wasn't a shock, but it was really fun to see it in action. Uh, as we were making some hard calls on a variety of things, it seemed like something Kathy kept coming back to over and over was like, what is best for people? who are going to be reading this book, which I really, really, um, yeah, I really enjoyed seeing that and being a part of that. Nice. She's uh, also funny. I mean, I'm like, not saying she's yeah. not funny. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I, I don't know that anyone was taking that from your statement. But, okay. Well, um, I'm just making sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm just being uh, nice over here. That was going to be my gotcha post when I started sharing the episode. I was like, you won't oh. believe what they called each other. Um <laughs> So, uh, Matt, which was the hardest chapter for you to write? Not not to respond to, um, but to write. 
goodness, goodness was probably my hardest chapter. Goodness is about the people we become, not about the things we do. It's about being transformed by God into a different sort of person, which makes it very, very difficult to write about in an essay. Like the examples are not, I used to not be good and now I'm good and here's something good I did because it's not about that. It's about a like deep transformation of person, which I found incredibly challenging. In fact, I think I just straight up say that in the chapter. I just wrestled with how to put that on the page in a way that would make sense. Like examples weren't really working. Uh, so that was probably the most difficult one for me. Kathy, what about you? Yeah, um, I think the chapter, well, there were two, but I, I will say the chapter on love was really hard. There were so many different rabbit holes that I went down mm. um, in my first and second drafts. And um, just because the word is used in such different ways in the English language and in common use, and it doesn't mean that in scripture. So we're not talking about loving pizza. Mm. And, um, and then when I was looking at the text, again, I felt like I was going down different rabbit holes when I was thinking back at all the sermons that I heard about love and what that meant and kind of like, is this kind of love better than the other kind? And um, so I'm still like, I, I, I still think about that chapter and go, oh, I wish I'd done this differently, or maybe I shouldn't have gone down that path. Um, but that was definitely the hardest chapter to write. Hmm. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> uh, Kathy, we'll go back to you for the first one this time. Uh, which chapter are you most glad you didn't have to write? Kindness. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, it gets me angry. Just, you know, it gets me angry in a different way. Because, and you both know me and I think our listeners by and large know me. I just have had so many um, comments, people, and I anticipate even after folks get the book in their hands, you know, that, that I am mean or aggressive or push too hard. And so I think it's, it's still that area where I need to do some spiritual work in and that it it rubs me the wrong way because the idea of niceness usually is what they mean, and that's used as a way to try to con- control my behavior. So, and as we did, I don't know how many years ago on the podcast, we all decided that Matt was the kindest. Well, he was the nicest. Nicest. One. He was the nicest one, but I also feel like um, the way he operates, particularly online, because we we engage with folks very differently mm-hmm. is a, he is so um, he is genuinely kind and pastoral in a way that I learn so much um, and watch people respond. That just brings me a lot of hope. So I'm glad I didn't have to do that because that is not my spiritual gift. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, as we talked about in the book, you get a pass on one to two yeah. of the uh, yeah. fruit of the spirit. <laughs> yes, it's like well, a, and the yeah, the you get to the, pick one. the more goodness you earn, right? right. The more it's you like a un- point. It is a point system. The yeah. more skips you unlock, right? Yeah, there you go. correct. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
See, I read. Uh, I paid attention. Matt, what's yours? <laughs> mine was self-control. That was like a deal breaker. I was like, I cannot write about that. Uh, I'm pretty sure what it is. And also that I am struggling to have it. Um, We've seen Kathy, you in a bag of tortilla chips. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, legitimately. Tortilla chips or milkshakes. I'm done. Like, you, someone. Yeah. There would be gotcha posts all over the internet. I'm done, but in a different way. Lactose intolerance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Kathy did such an amazing job on that chapter. And then all I had to do was respond to it and (laughs) interact with her, which was was really great. (laughs) The blessing of the co-author. Amazing. Kathy's actually very self-controlled. Like Kathy was talking about people will critique her for the way she interacts, but it is usually, almost always... Kathy has considered how she's interacting. Mm-hmm. It's not like flying off the handle or something. You're getting she's nice, doing, Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> she's doing what's appropriate for the moment. She is being self-controlled. And as Kathy talks about in that chapter, well, I don't want to spoil it all, but self-control is more, it's not about us controlling others, right? It's like in in the title of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a variety of ways she pulls that out that's really interesting. You should check it out. It, yeah. It's in this book, Loving Disagreement, <laughs> it's called. Well, uh, yes. Thank you both for joining me today for this this interview. I hope it was not too arduous for you. No. Uh, Kathy Kong, if folks want to stay connected with you online, where do you like to point them these days? Uh, I usually point them to Instagram. That's where I am most active. So at Ms. M.S. Kathy Kong. I use the same handle on threads and I... I think I still have a spoutable account, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Do you remember that space? No. Yeah, I'm on there. I'm on spoutable. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I don't know if I know how to get on there. I actually have a TikTok account because, you know, I Amazing. thought I'd put like a book TikTok thing occasionally. So, yeah. Excellent. Sorry, Matt. And Matt Michelotis, we know you have a new-ish newsletter, Imaginary Friends. Uh, where else do you like yeah. to Yeah. Yeah, so anywhere that you can spell my name on any social media thing, I should come up. So Matt Michalatis, M-I-K-A-L-A-T-O-S. I just use my real name everywhere, Uh, including, which apparently this is not, this is frowned upon, including Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize it was meant to be. I didn't know. I didn't know on Reddit you're supposed to use like a weird screen name with a lot of numbers. So I was like, I'm going to put my real name on here. And like, literally, it's, I think, just me. Wow. Yeah, I I think it might be just you. Yeah, I might have to fix that if I can. Well, um, Matt and Kathy, it has been such an honor to have you with us. Uh, Normally, before, uh, normally we dismiss our guests before moving into the final segment of our show. But I'm just just going to get three choices. I'm feeling, you know what? (laughs) I hadn't even considered that. Uh, I was going to say, I'm feeling some really good vibes here. So I was going to invite you to stick around, but maybe (laughs) only Kathy now. I I don't know. That's no. not nice. <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> uh, the advantage of being the solo host is that I am both the nicest and the least nice uh, for the day. Oh, um, <laughs> wow. It's like a philosophical thing. That's interesting. Uh, Matt McLaughlin, what is fascinating you in pop culture this week? I watched a movie. My daughter, Allie, is in a film noir class and asked me if I had ever seen a movie called In a Lonely Place. Came out in 1950. It's a Humphrey Bogart movie. And Humphrey Bogart was part of the studio system. He was a huge name. 
uh, and he got written into his contract that he could have his own little imprint that where he could do whatever he wanted. And this is one of the things he made. It is a film noir about a screenwriter who is a terrible human being who's accused of killing a girl. And you're not really sure if he did or not. And it's like, it's a, it's a satire of Hollywood at the same time. It's a satire of like relationship movies and anything you've ever seen Humphrey Bogart in before he is tearing it all down. He's an incredibly unlikable person. He's angry. He's violent. Uh, and it's about this relationship he builds with the one witness who can maybe say that he didn't kill this other woman. Uh, it's really interesting and good. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, really fascinating, actually. Uh, but I don't want to go into any details, so I don't spoil anything. But yeah, it's called In a Lonely Place. Uh, and if you do watch it, afterwards, just search up about the making of the movie, because there is like super weird stuff going on behind the scenes in the movie, too, that I want to wreck for you. But it's, yeah, it's very strange and interesting. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, Kathy, what about you? Uh, I am still on my audiobook thing where I'm just listening to books when I'm doing normal things around the house, like dishes and vacuuming. So I'm listening to an audiobook, uh, The Astonishing Color of After, written mm-hmm. by Emily X.R. Pan, but it is narrated by Stephanie Shu. Yes, from Everything Everywhere All at Once. So uh, I am really enjoying it. It's about a young girl who is biracial, whose mother dies of suicide and trying to make sense of, I think, I think make sense of that, her relationship with her mom, relationship with her father, relationship with her grandparents and um, connection to language. So I'm quite fascinated by all of that. How about you, JR? Well, I promised that during the month of Spooktober, I was going to do all spooky things. So I'm going to lay out a movie that just dropped on Amazon Prime called Totally Killer, <laughs> which is a Back to the Future slasher movie. Oh. Oh. So a now don't do the math, okay, because it gets awkward, but a 17-year-old in modern day, uh, her parents were in high school in the late 80s. And uh, she ends up, uh, there was a, back in 1987, there was a killer named the Sweet 16 Killer who killed these three high school girls over the course of three days and then vanished. And then he comes back uh, today to attack her mother. And uh, then she ends up traveling back in time through a time machine to the day of the first murder. And so she's in high school in the 80s. Uh, so they do really fun stuff. Like she goes Sounds into great. the office. She goes into the office at school to try to check into the school. And she's like, hi, I'm an exchange student from Canada. And she goes into this like long explanation for why she doesn't have any of her transfer paperwork. And the the woman behind the desk just hands her her schedule. <laughs> she's like, oh, man, the Welcome 80s the are 80s. Wild. <laughs> just like, yeah, like no, no school security. No, you know, um, you know, students saying very inappropriate things to each other all the time. No, no idea of, of like, you know, personal space or unwanted touches or any of that. So it's uh, and then, of course, like, you know, her parents are real straight laced and telling her not to drink or do drugs and all that. And of course, when she gets back there, like they're, you know, the mom is like the queen bee of the mean girls and like all this stuff. So it's 
it it does all of the things you want from a Back to the Future movie in ways that I found really silly and fun. Um, but then also like it is a slasher movie. And so there is a killer and you're, you're trying to figure out who the killer is, you know, because you've met all these people in the present day and then you're meeting them all in the past as teenagers. And yeah, it's it was really fun. Um, I laughed super a lot. Fun. Yeah, it was it was a great, you know, not all of these like weird genre mashups work totally, but I thought this one did. And it 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 was it was a real treat. So, yeah, totally killer. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, totally worth a watch. So. Uh, all right. This is uh, this is the end of the episode. Uh, before we leave, I would love to hear if you all have anything you can point people to right now. Um, I mean, you do have a book that's launching this week. So, <laughs> Podcasts. I'm sure we're on a bunch of podcasts. We're on so many podcasts. Which, we are. Uh, which is good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks to our own hard work. Um. I, my tour, I think I mentioned this last week, but my tour Enneagram monster article finally went up. Oh, so yeah. You can you can go look at who, based on your Enneagram type, which horror movie monster represents the unhealthiest version of you. And, uh, <laughs> JR, JR read aloud my Enneagram type to me the other day, and I was like, how dare you, sir? <laughs> it was incredibly accurate. He did the same thing, and I was like, ooh, I'm not comfortable right now. I need to go. <laughs> Just to review, Kathy is the jigsaw killer, and Matt <laughs> is the thing from The Thing. It's accurate. Uh, I'm Freddy Krueger, so. The Thing just wants us all to get along. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> by being the thing. Uh, all right, folks. Next week, we're interviewing Josh Larson about why it's cool oh. for Christians to watch horror movies. Oh, that's cool, JR. Is that because of that Christianity Today horror um, article that came out that you decided we should start talking about horror on the podcast? Yep. <laughs> Not even going to respond to that. No, it's because oh. Josh Larson is a good friend of the show, oh. has a new book out called Fear Not, A Christian Defense of Horror, and oh. I thought it'd be fun to talk to him. Well, awesome. that was a lot, lot less fun than I was anticipating. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, JR. Sorry to ruin your day, Matt. Ah, where's Clay? I need someone to pick on. <laughs> Once again, folks, the book is Loving Disagreement. We didn't even talk about the sweet cover. Oh, man, uh, amazing yeah. cover. Which I heard Matt is getting a tattoo of. So <sighs> I, I've got yes. several tattoos of it already, just in yes. different places. He's going to get one on his neck. Yeah, oh, there's yes. a snake coming up my neck. Um, and Della going down my arm. Seriously, thank you both. The book really is terrific. And I know you all worked really, really hard on it. That's evident. So uh, congrats. It's beautiful. And the cover's great, too. Uh, but yeah, make sure you get a copy of it. I think technically, if you're listening to this the day the episode comes out, you still have like a day to pre-order it. So uh, get on that. Otherwise, if you're listening to this later than that, you can you can stop listening right now and go start reading it. So uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care of each other. Be kind to each other, but not necessarily nice. <laughs>